Right, today I'm just going to preach on uh, righteousness by faith. What is righteousness by faith? Um, you know, what I've realized is there's some of the old messages that we never get to. Uh, and we just forget the, the basic foundation, um, you know, of the grace message, which is we are righteous by faith. And I was thinking to talk about that today. Um, and uh, we're going we're gonna to read from Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4. I also want to welcome everybody watching via the internet. Thank you so much for um, watching our videos and sharing it with your friends. It's making a worldwide impact. Thank you for that. Right. Um, <clears throat> first, before I start, I want to just, as an introduction, I want to just speak to some church leaders that might be watching this program. Uh, you know, I was just, uh, you know, in ministry, when you are in ministry, uh, it is many times we run our ministries like businesses and uh, before the service I spoke to somebody about that and I want to say this we don't have to do that you don't have to run your um, your ministry like a business it doesn't have to be a business you don't have to seek help from the world and all its advertising campaigns and its strategies to get your message out this gospel has got enough power you know in it um, you know to get people excited enough to share this message with others. And uh, what we can do is we can just encourage our people in the message of grace that they feel so blessed and so um, excited about this message they will have the ministry um, reach other people by just ministering reconciliation. Uh, I just felt to bring a message of encouragement to you and rest while we were in the worship. I thought to, to do that. And um, just tell you, listen man, you don't have to build a ministry. You don't have to have a next plan in how to get your ministry to grow or how to get money to, um, to come your way. God loves you and He cares for you. And the only thing you must do is basically continue with the way it started. When you were called into ministry, you felt a calling in your heart, a passion for people. And just let that live in your heart every day. Uh, you know, and everything else is God's business. You know, all you do is make sure you're in a place where you hear enough of His love enough of His mercy, enough of His grace, uh, that you have got that excitement in your heart to share the gospel with people so that it can be authentic and not just another thing you do to live in this world. And you will just find that beauty, you know, people will feel that beauty, that purity in your ministry, um, you know, and they will enjoy it. And the people that are impacted by that, the impact that's in their lives, will not be advertising campaign born. It will be born from something genuine and something true that comes from God towards you. Know that you are loved by God. Amen. Right, uh, we're going to get into Romans 4 verse 1. <clears throat> it says here, What shall we say then, that Abram our father as pertains to the flesh has found? For if Abram were justified by works, he has something to glory about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abram believed God, and it was accounted unto him for righteousness. So here the scripture clearly comes and it declares that Abraham did not find the success in his life. You know, he didn't become the father of many nations based on what he could produce by the flesh. And uh, Paul the Apostle come and he, he writes to the Romans and he wants to explain to them that there is no need, um, you know, for obedience to the law to find success in life. There is no need in obedience to the law to make what God has promised manifest in your life. That's what he's trying to say here. 
Um, that is the context of the writing. So with that in mind, let's read it again. What shall we say then that Abraham, our father, as pertaining to the flesh, has found? In other words, did he find the success? Did he find Isaac? Did he find what God promised him according to the flesh? Now the Jewish people understood according to the flesh as being a Jew or being special because you are uh, a Jew and then had access unto these wonderful um, principles that could give you life. Uh, one thing I want to say here, and um, this is good for any person that is a scholar that likes to study the scriptures, we need to understand that the law was never given to the Gentiles. It was actually um, an abomination to have a Gentile read the law. It, it, it was not allowed. The law was never given to the Gentiles. You know, I've, I've had somebody um, oppose the thing is, uh, is it a good thing uh, or does God expect us to, f to, to follow the diet, ach, the, the eat, or the, I mean, what you must eat, what, what's the English word for that? Dietitianally, or the diet of the Jews, you know, the, the law diet. Should we follow that as Christians today? You know, it was never even written to any Christian. It was never written to any nation except the Jew. It was never written to them at all. Are there some good principles in that? Yes. But does God expect you to follow that? That's where the whole thing comes in. No, He doesn't expect you to follow that. Although there are wonderful principles in it. You know, especially if you look at the time and day, you know, back then, you know, it's going to be very difficult to tell a German is not allowed to eat pork. It's going to be very, very difficult, you know. And you can come with all your things about how dirty pork is and whatever. He will show you it's cleaner than any other meat. You know, it's just the way it is. Uh, but I understand in those days, you know, why it was like that. But what I want to, what, I, what I'm driving at is this, that the law, in our study of the Bible, the law was given to the Jews and the Jews only and there was no place in the Bible where it is said that the Gentiles should obey that law. There's one place and that's in, the Act, in Acts 15 where it says, tell the Gentiles not, um, not to, to, to refrain from blood or eat, eat uh, animals with its blood still in it and um, they gave some laws there and then the Bible says the reason why it's like that it says for there are many people in the towns where these Gentiles live that became Christians that are still followers of Moses and they will be offended by the life of the Gentile and then the Bible even says there let us not bother the Gentiles or actually bog them down or put a weight upon them by giving them the law and make life difficult for them by giving them the law. So what happens and what is, it was even taken into church, especially if we come in the area of finances, it is we believe that Jesus Christ saved us, but then how will we have a successful life in this world? By following some prescriptions, you know, on how to live a successful life, which we find in the law, you know, give 10% and God will bless you or do these good things and then God will open a door for you and um, we as Christians today actually feel a little bit guilty if we think that we are pushing the law away that we say we don't want anything to do with the law but here the Apostle Paul comes and he says has Abraham found what he found 
in Christ or in what God promised him by the flesh. The flesh means I am a Jew and because I am a Jew I'm of the, I've got this privilege that I've got access to the law to follow the prescriptions of the law. So know this, we are so far, so far separated from the law as Gentiles. We are not even to read it. You know, read it in the sense of thinking what must I do when I look at this so that I can find what God has promised me. You know, if God made you a promise, that promise shall manifest in your life by the promise maker. He promised it. You know, if I promise my son a certain thing, how can, what can he do to get the promise but only believe that I will bring it forth? Nothing. The only way in which he can find that promise manifest in his life is by simply believing that I will bring it forth. Anything that he would do to activate the promise or to make the promise manifest would be an hindrance to receiving the promise. That's all it is. For if Abraham were justified by works, he has something to glory about, but not before God. Because the Bible says that Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now, the context they use here is you first have to be righteous to qualify for the blessing. You've got to be righteous to qualify for the blessing. In other words, God promises you, then you have to live up to a certain standard in order to receive the promise. And that was what the Jews believed and that is what most Christians today also believe in churches all over the world. We believe that God promised us eternal life, but you know, we still need to have righteousness. We need to be righteous in order to have that eternal life. And that righteousness is then attained by our obedience to scriptures and our obedience to the inner voice of God and our obedience to many commands. Like for instance, God sends you to go and preach to somebody on the street corner and you now don't do it. So that means you're not righteous anymore. And the promise is made to the righteous and you are not righteous because you were disobedient. So here he comes and he says that Abraham, if he could glory about the blessings, he could not, or what he received, he could not glory before God. Because the scripture says that Abraham believed God and it, the fact that he believed God, was accounted to him for righteousness. Where the Jews believed that should you receive the blessing, as many churches today believe and people believe, should you receive the blessing, or if you want to receive the blessing, your righteousness will be determined by your obedience to the law. So you have to be righteous. Yes, you have to be righteous, but how and what is righteous? How does righteousness come and what is righteousness? Here the Bible says that it was accounted to Abraham for righteousness when he believed God. He believed God. So what did he believe? We can go to uh, Genesis 15. Let me just uh, uh, elaborate a little bit more on that. The word righteous there means basically an equitable deed or to do the right thing. So in order for you to receive the blessing, you have to do the right thing. And what is the right thing to do? Is to believe that God will give the blessing He promised to a sinner. 
Okay, here was Abraham, not circumcised, not heavy, having any law, because the law was not even given in written format then. The only law he had was the ministration of death that he was standing under, which came from Adam. He was actually praying to some heathen gods, because he didn't know the true God. They prayed to these, all these different gods they had, and had these animal sacrifices, like what you would have typical in Africa bush today. And here God comes to Abraham and, and manifests to him in some way, should it be in a dream or a manifestation or whatever, and he's persuaded that God told him, Abraham, you know that you must, first thing, this is beautiful, in Genesis 12, Abraham moved to the place that I will tell you. He moved. The fact that he obeyed the command didn't, was not accounted to him for righteousness. Because the account of righteousness is only in Genesis 15. Where in the Bible says he believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. So obedience to all the commands of God prior to Genesis 15 from Genesis 12 to 14, the last verse, was not accounted to him for righteousness. Although, although he was obedient. What he did was he believed that God could make him or give him his own child and that his children would be as many as what the stars are in the sky. He believed that. And he believed that God would take a person that he, know, he knew his shortcomings, he knew what kind of being he was, and that God can take this unjust sinner and God has got the ability to bless this sinner with whatever God promised him. That's what he believed. And it, the fact that he believed that God could bless a person that had an inability. Remember, Abraham didn't have the ability to produce children. He was too old. Neither, was, uh, neither Sarah, the Bible says, her womb was dead. But Abraham believed that God can take something that does not have the ability to produce any fruit and produce fruit from it by his promise and not the ability of the person and the, when he believed that the Bible says God saw that as an equitable deed he accounted that to him for righteousness now that's different than the righteousness that we become the righteousness of God okay I, I will still touch a bit on that but what happens here is when we enter into the life of the Trinity where we start to function in the dynamics of trust and belief we function like God God is a person the Father believes the Son and the Son believes the Father and they trust the Spirit and the Spirit trusts them and the moment we see what the one promises and this God came to Abraham didn't take into account the deadness of Sarah's womb didn't take into account everything that he's done in his life. Nothing. All he took into account was his love for this man and bringing forth the seed which is Jesus to bring forth salvation. His love for people. That's in the heart of the Father. He comes to Abraham. He promises Abraham that he shall have an heir that comes from him. Abraham says, well, I, according to my ability, I just, I'm not qualified. But I believe in a God that 
will bring forth fruit in those that are disqualified. And that is seen as an equitable deed. It was accounted to him for righteousness. So, what made Abraham make use, what, what caused Abraham to make use of this, or actually to appropriate what God promised him, was not his good actions. It was not his holy lifestyle. It was him saying, I allow this God to bring this fruit forth in me, for I believe that He can use something that's dead to bring forth fruit in it. Amen. If we look at our own lives, the way we will look at it is by saying, I, according to the law, am not qualified. I see myself as a sinner. If the law must come and has its voice over my life, take all my actions into consideration, I would be seen as disqualified, a sinner. But God says that I will produce from your body immortality. I will produce from your body holiness and righteousness. And we look at our own effort to holiness, righteousness and immortality and everything that is good and we look at our past life from, the, from when we can remember up until uh, today or a person that hears the, the gospel for the first time until that day and we look at what we've produced. We've only stressed, we've, we've, we, we thought bad about people, we gossiped, we looked down on others. Here and there we try to do a good thing but compared to the negative in our life we can never measure up. And God comes to such a being and says to that being that I see good in you, I love you, and I promise you that I will produce all these things, and then He portrays His life in you. And the righteous thing to do then is not om skouwer in die wiel te sit en te begin werk nie, my broer. You didn't say he said scour on evil me. For stand but in English. But it's the right thing to do is not to try and put your hands to the plow and now try and plow the field. God promised that he'd plow. He says he will bring it forth. So what do we do? And this is why I read that verse in, in, um, in the message. It says, Salvation is all God's doing. From beginning to end, all we do is we trust him enough so that he can do it. That is all. He will bring it forth. He knows. And that is seen as righteous. We can read Genesis. Let's just quickly read in Genesis. It says, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision. Fear not, Abraham. I am your shield and, and your reward shall be great. Now, the King James says, I am your shield and your exceeding great reward. In other words, um, what the reward in standing in a relationship with God, in believing that He can bring something forth in your life free from your works, in believing that He ended all sin in your life, that He qualified you, the reward of that is God. Um, he was Ab Abraham's reward was God. In the same with us. And He is our Father in the faith, Abraham, you know, um, the Father in the faith, and so what we see is, we see he believed God and the reward he received was God himself. In the very same with us. In our trust in what he promised, and we're going to get into what he promised, in what he promised, what the reward we have is we are rewarded with God himself living in every fiber of my being. That is the reward. The, the life of the Trinity in your life. That is the reward. 
And when we can say that the life of the Trinity, what God has promised, shall manifest in this, in this body by His doing, it is seen as a righteous act. And all righteous deeds that you ever had to do to qualify before God stands, uh, cannot be compared to the righteousness portrayed in belief in what He promised. Amen. Second verse, but Abraham said, O Lord, when will you give... Um, when will you give me, for I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, uh, and Abram said, Behold, you've given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, This man shall not be your heir, your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look towards heaven, and the number of the stars, if you are able to number them. Then said he to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. You see, in the presence, the promise can only be made. When you can re really hear the promise, it can, you can only hear what God really promises in the presence of your full inability. When you see that you can never, in the revelation of your inability, the voice of God declares His ability. And the belief of that word is accounted to you for righteousness. Okay? I'm not talking about that we were made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I'm talking about another righteousness here. I find, and for those that watch by the internet, I find a confusion between, um, and this is a bit technical, between the righteousness that we were made by the cross and the righteous act of believing in Jesus. Abraham was not righteous with the righteousness we have today um, after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The righteousness we have today is the righteousness of innocence, which wherein Jesus Christ came and took away all law. He took away all death. He took away all disqualification, wherein a human being came and sat in the, right, in, in, in the Trinity as the representative of who we are. That is a different righteousness than the righteousness of a righteous act, which is to believe in Jesus, you know, or to believe God. You know? So uh, uh, the Bible says clearly, um, there's no one righteous, no, not one. And that includes Abraham. There was no one. If you look at any person in how he lived on this earth, there's no one righteous, not even Abraham. There's no one righteous. With a righteousness that was needed for salvation, not one. No one was righteous. Although the Bible talks about righteous Abel, talks about righteous Abraham. It's not the same kind of a righteousness. If Abraham was righteous with the righteousness intended um, for mankind by Christ, then Jesus didn't die for Abraham or didn't die for any of those Old Testament people that were seen with the Old Testament righteousness. They were righteous in their generation. But we have received the very righteousness of God. I don't know if I'm going to have time. Maybe on next Sunday I can talk about that. Um, but I want to explain this, you know. So, the right thing to do, if you want to fulfill all law in what you need to do to qualify before God, is to believe that God qualifies you by His doing. That's all. And that will be accounted to you for righteousness. Let's read on. Verse 4. Now to him that works is the reward reckoned 
not of grace, but of death. But to him that works not, but believes on him that justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. Okay? Now to him which work is the reward reckoned not of grace, but of debt. In other words, if you say, I'm going to be blessed by what I do for God, then, you, then the good you have doesn't come from God giving it generously to you. It doesn't come in gift form. It is what you've worked for. It's payment for services rendered. Right, now it goes on and it says, But to him that works not, but believes or has his mind at rest in him that justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. Now it comes to the church here. So what must you believe in order to have a faith where God would say, this faith can I see as a righteous faith. And I can say that this person has now done the right thing. What must you believe? You must believe that God justifies the ungodly. Let's read it again. Verse 5. But to him that works not, but believes on him that justifies the ungodly. So you must believe on the person that justifies the ungodly. So you must have a God, your mind must be fully persuaded that God takes ungodly people or ungodly beings according to the law and he would bless them with eternal life unless you can believe that your faith cannot be seen as a righteous faith you're believing the wrong thing your persuasion is unrighteous should you believe that God would bless you because you bless him you are standing in unrighteousness as pertaining to what you have done. Okay. Now, um, I want to just say this. When God came in Christ, and let me bring it in here, He came and took away the sin of the whole world. As Adam dumped all of mankind into guilt, God in Christ dumped all of mankind into righteousness. But that does not mean that this person that God in Christ placed in righteousness, and let's see if I can explain it today, I have time. It does not mean that that person shall receive salvation one day. It just means that God took away all his sin and placed him into innocence. And now, what's true in the Trinity can take place in his life, wherein he can, from faith, have a life born from this truth. So what happens is, God came and made a promise, and this is God's promise to the human race, is, I promised mankind that I will take away all their sin, and that I will bring righteousness again. I will burn away everything that disqualified them forever, and I will make them clean again. I will wash away all their sins. God promised that. And then he says, I take them as my heirs, and I give unto these people the kingdom. And they shall live with me in immortality forevermore. That's God's promise. Now, God comes to these people whose sins are already taken away in Christ, and He declares this truth to them. And now these people can now believe 
this truth. And as we believe this truth, we enter into the grace wherein we already stand. And our faith is accounted to us for righteousness. In other words, as what there was, some qualification under the law by which you must do as a work to qualify to be blessed by God. In the New Testament, there's something that we do called faith. Now, that faith was made a law by too many churches. It is not a law that, okay, I must, unless I believe God's going to punish me. No. What this faith is, is it is part of your design. As much as what I would promise my son something, I can promise him something, I can buy all the things for him, it is his. When he is persuaded of it and wants it, he enters into it and makes use of it. And that is what God has come to do for us. Amen. So, it's not a law, it's something God freely gives us. Romans 5, verse 15. <clears throat> Let's talk about what Jesus did for us and how we became righteous by His work. It says, Yet the rescuing gift, I read from the message, is not exactly parallel to the death-dealing sin. If one man's sin puts crowds of people at death-end abyss of separation from God, just think what God's gift poured, through, poured out through one man, Jesus Christ, will do. There's no comparison between the death-dealing sin and the generous life-giving gift. The verdict on the one sin was the death sentence. The verdict on the many sins that followed was the wonderful life sentence. Now this is amazing. When Adam sinned, the verdict was everybody became sinners. When Jesus rose from the dead, the verdict on every sinner is this eternal life and the righteous thing to do is to believe it <laughs> let me say it again when Adam sinned the verdict was everybody became a sinner the verdict on the one sin of Adam was everybody became a sinner Christ became everybody's sin died and rose again and now the verdict on Every sin, because of what Christ has done, is eternal life for every man. Even the sinner, even the unbeliever, the verdict is eternal life for you. Like the verdict on Sarah's dead womb was a son for you. And what do we do? We believe Him. For salvation is all He's doing. We're not going to try and produce life in us. We're not going to try and have eternal life. We are resting in Him which said, I declare you forgiven and the verdict on you, you're in, in front of a court, I think Satan must be subset, in front of a court, court setting here, he is really guilty. Okay, I sentence him to eternal life. He's guilty. His guilt spells his redemption. His guilt spells his forgiveness. Let me explain that. <clears throat> the Bible says in Romans, and this is just an uh, explanation of the first three chapters. The first three chapters says that by the law, every person was made a sinner. Okay? Or the sin in every person was manifested by the law. So that all could know that they are sinners. And all people became one by the law. Everyone is a sinner. That's the final voice of the law. Everyone is a sinner. Then God became sin. 
He became, he took the sin of all sinners, that means now everybody, onto him and died it away. So if you could say, yes, I am a sinner, what are you actually saying? You are saying, my sin was also on him, and my sin died, therefore I qualify. I'm innocent. That is what it actually means. So here we come and we see a, a, a God comes and he's, he, the verdict, the final say on your sin is the wonderful life sentence. If death got the upper hand through one man's wrongdoing, can you imagine the breathtaking recovery life makes, sovereign life, in those who grasp with both hands this widely extravagant life gift, this grand setting everything right that the one man, Jesus Christ, provides. I'm just reading from the Bible. He's not even trying to preach a doctrine. I'm just reading what the Apostle Paul said here. He says, if death got the upper hand in you through legalism and your own efforts and what happened in Adam, how much more in the lives of those that grab a hold the message of God has already set everything right will him he bring forth life in you Jesus Christ came took away the sin of the whole world washed away the sin of the whole world promises to everybody eternal life those who believe that God has promised to them eternal life while they were yet in their sins make use of this life and we find that this life manifests in us that is it we are righteous by his doing and believing is accounted to us as righteousness it's not a sin to believe God it's not wrong to believe God it's part of the Trinity life wherein the Father trusts the Son, the Son believes the Father and in this we have access to this wonderful grace. Here it is in a nutshell. Just as one person did it wrong and got us in all the trouble with sin and death, another person did it right and got us out of it. Isn't that beautiful? But more than just getting us out of the trouble, he got us into life. So, what God did in Christ, and this might sound very confusing, but please hear. God took the whole world in Christ out of death and put the whole world into life. As what it took Abraham out of being a person that cannot have his own children and placed him into, you shall have a child. By God, it was a done deal. Finished. Abraham believed this truth and then had access into what God declared as true by his persuasion. And then that which is true was now born into his life. So I want to tell you this. You've been made righteous by the blood of Jesus. We declare the righteousness of God to every man through what Jesus Christ has done. And we want to see in him the act, the righteous act of believing that what Christ has done is true and not making God a liar. By saying, God, you're a liar. You didn't take away my sin. Your sins are taken away. And this is the good news. 
which the Bible says is so good that even when somebody hears it, he will struggle to believe it. For what is the good news message that we must preach? What is that which needs to be believed? We go with the message of the cross, the message of the already attained victory, the message of, the, of sin that is already forgiven. Now the other day I read, I read in somebody's book, he's a doctor, you know, a theologian and whatever, and he says that the sin of the world is not forgiven. You're only forgiven if you confess. Okay, so what message do we have for the world? What message do we have for the world? If you confess your sin and stop your sin, God will forgive you your sin. I mean, then, then Allah's got a message for the world as well, which is as good as ours. There's no message at all. The message is that the Lamb of God took away the sin of the world. When? When he said it's finished. And this is the problem, you know. We can say, and I put, I put on, on this guy's page on Facebook as well, I said, you had this picture of it is finished written in the Bible. And then I said, the problem is to define the it. In it is finished. Because that's where people struggle. The one will say, no, the law is finished. The other one will say, it is finished. His life now is over now. He's died now. Now, what is finished? What is the it? The it is any form of distance between you and God. The it is all sin. The it is all disqualification. The it is anything that was uh, um, bringing distance in the sense of reconciliation. The Bible says that He reconciled us unto Himself in the cross. He brought reconciliation. A new man was created in the cross according to Ephesians 2. Already. It is finished. He's made one new man before God. One new man in Christ. And the whole world was in Christ upon the cross. Everybody. Not just some. Everybody. And then that sin died there. And then... In that representative power, he stood up as a brand new man. And that new man, seated at the right hand of the Father, spells a promise to the human race. And the promise is, as he was raised from the dead, so shall you be raised, immortal. As he was raised from the dead, in a new kind of a life, so shall you be raised in a new life, in this life, wherein the fruit of the Spirit shall manifest in you. And that we preach. And those who believe that have got access to that grace and they experience salvation. What is the promise? We've, we've must, you know the promise? We've, saw, we've seen the promise as a new car. We've seen the promise of the gospel as a, a, a better income. That is not what God promised. What God promised was eternal life. And the promise was not spoken in God coming to the world and Jesus saying, I promise you. That was not how He spoke. He spoke in a death and a resurrection. And when we look at that 100% identification with sinful man, the death of man, the Bible says He died my death. 
If he died your death, what does it mean? It means the sin, man, in you, the punishment that you thought you could have had because of your sin, has already taken place. You have died. All died. He died your death. He was raised up as a human. What does that mean? That's where Paul's gospel starts. Paul's, Paul's gospel starts in the resurrection where, where he says, where do we go forward with this thing now? This is where we go forward. We expect that which happened in him to happen for every man for what happened to him is a promise for every man and that is the good news we preach the good news is your sin has been taken away you are fully qualified by what Christ Jesus has done to have immortality with him to be part of the messianic reign his kingdom is here he brings it to you he's returning and you shall be like him that's God's promise for every man those who believe it makes use of it and apply it that's why it is impossible to be saved without faith because this truth didn't take place outside of the trinity dimensions and dynamics but inside it and god hasn't changed his design neither your design so he makes everything true and that's the way god does he first makes everything true then he speaks to you the way he created Adam. How did he create Adam? He made him perfect in his image, in his likeness. Gave him a garden. Gave him everything. First did that. After giving everything, he woke up. And when he woke up, he woke up to what God has given him. Then what would, even if he had knowledge of everything that God has given him, should he believe God and walk in that trinity relationship of faith and belief, you will find he can appropriate everything that was given to him according to original plan hallelujah so God first came in Christ and created a brand new world he made everything new he made he took away your sin he put you in his image and in his likeness the second Adam came he died away all our sin he brought righteousness for everybody and as the first Adam before he ever sinned or ever did anything wrong who woke up and was in that state where he was introduced to God by God blessing him that's where every human being is today on the planet and we stand now and we can either believe him or not believe him unbelief in that truth will have the same pattern as what happened in Adam but thank God that will only be for the individual and not for everybody because the person that represents everybody which is Jesus conquered and is seated forever at the right hand of the Father Amen so we are righteous by faith and not by works can you see in the light of this truth how human effort to to get to God's holiness and righteousness is an abomination it is a lie it is a lie unless we understand this truth and not just understand it when it becomes the reality of your heart you know for the first time how to deal with people you for the first time understand the design of people now I'm going to say something that's a very, very touchy subject, an issue you shouldn't actually touch on, 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 on a public platform. But I'm going to do it. Gay people. You know, it is not right for the church to hate gay people. 
It's not right, I don't care who you are, to make a mockery of gay people on a public platform. You need to repent and ask God to deliver you from the satanic bondage you are in. For you are not dealing with somebody based on God's view and opinion of him. You don't go on a public platform and tell somebody if he doesn't know what gender he is. If somebody doesn't know what gender he is, my goodness, he's confused. And he's bound to a point that he doesn't even know if he's male or female. And now making a mockery out of that on a public platform shows not the person's confusion that doesn't know what gender he is, but shows your confusion. He doesn't even know what kind of a being he is. He is the God kind. His sin was taken away. He needs to be introduced to his innocence so that he can believe something. But now you come all the time taking his sin in front of him, telling him, you are gay. You were not born gay. You were not this. Listen, I don't care if a person is born gay or not born gay. What does it matter? You know, the whole issue that is in the world and that the church is fighting about gay people today is we just want to prove that a gay is not born gay. Listen, if you can be born blind, you can be born gay. You know, you, you find somebody born cripple, but he can't be born gay. Because we thought that if he's born gay, it means God made him a gay. If somebody's born blind, doesn't mean God made him blind. Ask the man that was born blind that was healed. You can be born gay, I've got no problem with that, but you can be healed. <laughs> Glory to God. You can be healed. We don't have to sit, settle for that. But this antagonistic anger that the church breathes towards people that are gay is just wrong. It is just wrong. If, if we make a mockery out of people that smoke cigarettes by saying, I say he devils is that. You know? <laughs> Sucking the devil's tail because he's smoky, you know? You're not going to win a guy that smokes over to the gospel. You're going to irritate the life out of him by making a joke in church. Pushing people away. But this gospel is true for the gay as well. It's true for every human being. I'm not condoning the lifestyle, the gay lifestyle, neither do I condone any kind of a, a sin or something that can harm anybody. But we can't say as the church, no, we love gay people and mock them in the same message. Then you don't love them, you lie, your heart has been blinded, you've been blinded to the value of people. That's just the way it is. And, and if people say that I'm pro-gay or whatever, man, I'm pro-everybody. If God was not pro-sinners, then we all would have been lost. But God is pro-every sinner. He loves every sinner. Glory to God. I just feel that if we can, and this is also for people watching in the US, if we can be pro-Jew, in the sense of, you know, they just don't understand. They've just been blinded for a while. Let's just have mercy. If that's your definition of pro-Jew, 
then you can be pro-gay as well. Why can't we say they don't understand? They just can't see. Why can't we just, for one, you know, you're not going to win a gay by saying God made Adam and Eve and not Adam and Steve. You're not going to win him. You're going to have a nice joke about it, you know, and you can laugh about it, but you're not winning no gay. He doesn't feel loved. He doesn't feel accepted. He doesn't feel welcome. He doesn't feel that there is a house or a home where he can return to, wherein he can be helped and loved. We can have somebody receive, receive Jesus, you know, and we can say, well, he's the righteousness of God, but he's got a temper problem, and he's got maybe an alcohol problem, but God is working. But we can't say that to a guy. Why? It's because we have not seen the gospel. We have not seen what Christ has done. We have not seen the innocence of the human race. We have not seen the work of the cross. We've come to a place where what God has done in Jesus is still mediocre to what Satan did in Adam. And we don't have a good news message to preach to somebody. The good news message is, should you be able to believe? Should you? Can you come? And this is a good news message. God has done all these good things for you. He has taken away all your sin. As a matter of fact, He's broken the power of addiction. He's broken the power of, of gender confusion. He's broken all that power in Christ for every human being. And it has been broken for you already. And God promises every person. He promises the gay. He promises the alcoholic. He promises every person eternal life. The, the sinner that believes it, that believes that promise, because of the finished work of Jesus Christ, enters into the grace that will make it manifest in the life of that individual. Amen. Now, how will that individual ever believe it if you can never preach it to him? How? He can never be free in the presence of the law. I want to read what, what uh, the, the message says here about uh, the law. <clears throat> Let me end off. I've just started to enjoy my message. <laughs> all, that, all that passing laws against sin did was produce more lawbreakers. This is Romans 5.20. All that passing laws against sin did was produce more lawbreakers. <clears throat> but sin didn't... Oh, so, but sin didn't and doesn't have a chance in competition with the aggressive forgiveness we call grace. When it's sin versus grace, grace wins hands down. Amen. All sin can do is to threaten us with death. And the end... Uh, and that's the end of it. Grace, because God is putting everything together again through the Messiah, invites us into life. A life that goes on and on and on, world without end. Isn't that beautiful? All sin does is threaten you with death. But God invites you into the life He has already prepared for you on behalf of you in Jesus Christ brought righteousness for every man and we are not doing the world a favor we're not doing ourselves a favor if we neglect such a great salvation 
this gospel belongs to every human being. It belongs to the child molester. You know, if I must find out somebody molested my child, I will be super upset. I'll be super upset. I'll have to allow God to bring forth forgiveness in my heart for that person. For in normal power, I will not be able to do it. I will not be able to do it. Like one of my pastor friends found out that someone in his church molested his child. He said when he woke up again, he was at the guy's house with a gun to go and shoot him down, kill him. And grace came and gave him a tenderness, softness. And he knocked on the door, told the guy, I forgive you. When he came home, his child was also delivered from all the effects that they had on the child. Amen. So, why can you do that? Because that's how God feels about that child molester. Because there's a truth and a reality that God has entered into for every one of those. And we walk in that forgiveness. We walk in that love. Amen. So I want to say this, you know. <clears throat> I want to say this in closing. It would be very difficult for me to forgive such a person. But... As I take my eyes off what has happened and the effect or whatever it might be and put my eyes on what is true and real, I will find that I've now had access into reality and God makes His promise come forth in my life and I am delivered from anger. I am delivered from from living a life that would be born out of that man's sin and I would have a life born from, our, from the righteousness of God. Amen. We are not righteous by our works. You cannot add anything. You don't have to help God save us. We believe what He has done for us. The problem is the true gospel has not been preached. The true gospel has not been preached. I'm busy now <clears throat> writing my book on finances. Um, I wrote one long, long ago. Didn't, uh, didn't publish it. Um, I took a little bit of a different onslaught this time. And I just, in, in this writing of the book, I just realized again how the love of money is the root of all evil. How the love for, for uh, love to be defined <clears throat> by the things of this world and what we've attained in this world, how that defines us and how that is just the root of all destruction wherein we cannot see somebody that is in a different class than us or that we we see differently we've got this whole hierarchy thing that's born out of that lie you know flood the church flood the church church we are the very body of Christ God promised us his life amen and let us find only our identity only in the resurrected Christ and in His finished work. You're not righteous by your works, but righteous by faith. And it's not an unrighteous thing to believe God. It's a righteous thing. It's righteous in the sense of, uh, uh, it's, it's an equitable deed, or it talks about a deed of divinity. If you really study the Hebrew on it, it's a, it's a, a deed that divine people do. Divinity does those things. So you walk in your divinity when you believe, for belief is a godly attribute. Amen. Let's pray. 
Father, I want to thank you for this wonderful message. Thank you that you love us. Thank you that you care for us. I want to pray for every person that is watching here. I want to pray for <clears throat> every uh, um, gay person that watches today. And I thank you, Father, that they can feel your warm embrace and your acceptance and your love for them. And they can come to the throne of grace and that they, from that perspective of grace, can receive help in a time of need. I think of those people that go through a very hard time in society, all the rejection and everything they go through, and uh, even all the fruit that start to manifest in their lives because of their selfishness, rebellion, and all those kind of things, hatred for everybody, and uh, uh, just all the rebellion that comes with being rejected, uh, finding their identity in their sexuality, and, and all those kind of things. I thank you, Father, that those people can receive your love and your grace. They're fully accepted by you. They're loved by you. You smile over their life and you see them as a victim of something and not as uh, the enemy. And you want to just help and love and set free. Thank you for that, Father. And so do I pray also for every person watching this that is bound in religion. Maybe they are just bound in this religion, Father, where they cannot accept anybody that is a sinner, where they are so self-righteous and their eyes have been blinded so much that they cannot, they cannot accept the message of grace. I thank you, Father, I can pray for them. My heart goes out to them. I thank you, Lord, that laborers come over their path in such a way that they will minister the word in such a way they will be able to see in Jesus' mighty name. Thank you for that, Father, that you are good to everybody. Thank you, Lord, that you, um, you take this message to the ends of the earth and that people can, be, can hear and be satisfied. They can taste and see that the Lord is really good. Hallelujah. I also want to pray for sick people watching via the internet right now. Uh, <clears throat> I just experienced in my heart there's somebody watching that's got a problem in your neck. Um, you always struggle with your neck uh, and, and you go to the doctor, you go to chiropractors and uh, you just get these, this pain from your neck, numbing your, one, your, your left arm um, and you just got this pain. I declare in the name of Jesus Christ that you are healed right now in Jesus' mighty name. In Jesus' mighty name. I also feel um, by the Holy Spirit there's somebody in the service here today that struggled with your colon. In the name of Jesus Christ, you, uh, uh, this is a lady. In the name of Jesus Christ, you are healed right now by the power of God and by His resurrected power. Signs, wonders, confirm the word of your forgiveness. You are healed in Jesus' mighty name. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord, that you care for people. You heal their sickness. You heal their, their disease. <clears throat> Whatever we could not be justified from by the law of Moses, He justified us. What that means is when the law finds you guilty, God blesses you. Hallelujah. Therefore, I declare you healed right now in Jesus' mighty name. I also, there's a, a person that get a pain right in the middle. Um, it's, it's like uh, the, the valve in your stomach. Um, with acid buildup and all those kind of things that pushes up. I declare you healed in the mighty name of Jesus Christ right now by the resurrection power of Christ. You are being healed now, supernaturally. You've said, well, this is just something I live with. God says you're healed right now. It's a manifestation of the truth of this word. It's a confirmation of the truth of this word. That healing confirms your innocence. You are healed. Amen and amen. Thank you so much.